Although, I've seen some scripts I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness chatcast. I am your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Lisa Gullickson, the Wife Dork. Hi, Lisa. Hello. How are you? I am feeling a little stressed. <laughs> Packing my bag seems kind of full. Definitely going to be charged for the extra weight I'm taking to Park City, Utah. That's the, right. For the Sundance Film Festival. That's right. We are scrambling to get this intro recorded so we can post this episode on time. Hopefully, hopefully we've done that. I'm not sure. Fingers crossed. You're in the future. You know what's up. <laughs> but I am crazy excited for this episode. Uh, we're talking to director Gil Clavin, uh, writer Carl W. Lucas, and actor Justin Long of The Wave. The Wave is a wild film that has... A lot more to say, a lot more supernatural stuff going on than your usual drug trippy movie. Yeah, like I just want to read the IMDb summary, if you could indulge me, Lisa. Oh, please. Uh, it, it reads, an insurance lawyer goes out of town to celebrate an upcoming promotion with his co-worker, Jeff. But their night takes a turn bizarre when Frank is dosed with a hallucinogen that completely alters his perception of the world. In a way that is unanticipatable. Yeah, extremely unanticipatable. Um, as was the appearance of Justin Long in this interview, because we knew we were talking to Gil, we knew we were talking to Carl, we did not know we were talking to Justin Long, and Lisa, you have a thing for Justin Long, don't I, you? I may have a, a, a petite, feminine, <laughs> ladylike thing for Justin Long. He's a cutie, he and he seems vulnerable, and yeah. I, I like him. I, uh, I like a nervous guy. I was looking right at you when he came into the room, and you were like, whoa, it's go time. <laughs> it's go time. <laughs> it's go time. It, it was. Interview go time, Lisa. Yeah. Don't, don't be disgusting. I wasn't. I uh, wasn't. We are back to our Fantastic Fest coverage. So this interview was done many months back in September of 2019 while we were attending the Austin Film Festival. And I'm just so like giddy to bring the, the rest of our Fantastic Fest interviews to you guys because the movies are now starting to drop. The wave is ready. It's on demand. It's playing in select theaters. It's at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia right now. Watch this film. It is a one perfect shot movie. Like there are it's, so many gorgeous shots in this gorgeous. film. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It really, really is. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation. We'll meet you back on the other side. I uh, know. We're, we're good. I have my boss to get you there. Lisa. Lisa, nice to meet you. We really enjoyed the film. It's like, dude, where's my car? But instead of the car, it is Frank's conscience. <laughs> dude, where's my conscience? Dude, where's my soul? <laughs> Yeah, first question, how many drugs have you taken, uh, and how did it get you to this point? Rank them from, from worst to best. Yeah. If, we could, if we could remember that. <laughs> I think they're serious. Oh. <laughs> well, we're total squares. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did you buy your drugs? 
everyone's in music. What is their number? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I don't know, like, uh, I guess where we could start was, you know, where this <clears throat> concept of the wave came from. I guess that starts with Carl. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, yeah, so the, the original concept was um, you know, based around a, a personal experience, but I guess before I got to that, uh, I had met Gil back in 2013 um, through uh, the editor of the film, who's now my wife. Uh, they, were, they were friends, and uh, I was producing some independent films. I just finished producing you know, The Rambler uh, for Calvin Reader, and... Um, feeling pretty good about where I was in the producing world and was uh, really kind of wanting to expand and start creating my own stuff you know, for, for my production company that I had uh, started called Echo Wolf Productions. Uh, and uh, Lana introduced me to Gil and Gil showed me some of his music videos and I was absolutely stunned by how visually creative and just the things he was able to do with almost no money and uh, just creating these entire worlds. Uh, and so we would have long conversations about what it would take to shoot that and how he would do these different things. And, and I became very enamored with the idea of making a very strong visual film at a very low budget uh, with, a, with a visionary director. Nobody had heard of but me. Uh, <laughs> and Stevie Oki. Uh, <laughs> and so um, dealing with that, I knew that the story was going to have to be something really, really personal. So. Uh, I started with, um, you know, obviously, I mean, when I, Frank, there's a whole lot of me and Frank, but it didn't start out that way. It, it, it started out, I was trying to explore this character. Uh, I had a family member who was a firefighter who died when he was 37. Uh, his heart just stopped. Um, just a thing that happens. Uh, he had a wife, he had a daughter in high school, uh, they were in the middle of building a home. Uh, you know, he was 37, and not a lot of savings, not a lot of that stuff, but he had a very nice life insurance policy that was denied to him uh, because of, like in the movie, um, <laughs> they, uh, they went, we, we went a deep dive into his medical records, and 10 years earlier it found where a doctor went, hey, you should try these pills, it might help even out that heart murmur that we picked up on your EKG, and, and it made him sick, it made him nauseous, and he was like, I, I come back and take those, you know, the, the other thing doesn't bother me, and the doctor was like, well, <laughs> he and, never took, uh, him, took he never he never he never wrote it down on a piece of paper that he took him off the no. medication. Right. Okay. Uh, so it was used kind of as a as an excuse for the insurance company to be like, yeah, no, that's a that's a suicide from our uh, from our perspective. And whether or not it actually was, or whether or not that was something they could have held up in court, didn't matter because they had all the lawyers and all the time and all the depositions and everything in the world that you know this this widow and her daughter with no resources, would never be able to fight them. In a hundred years, they'd never be able to fight them. They'd never see a dime. They'd be lost in court forever. Uh, and I remember, just, you know, there was so much grief happening in there besides that, but then just that, that sense of loss of everything. Um, and I was like, what kind of a monster would do that? And diving into the script, I was exploring that and discovered, oh, me, I'm that monster. Uh, you're that monster. We're all that monster to to an extent. We all we all like to think, I think, that we wouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, you know, we compartmentalize our lives around that. So anyway, I took that concept and uh, I took uh, a lot of the the visuals and different experiences that uh, Gil and I were having at the time uh, and kind of blended them into a uh, very cohesive narrative. 
Oh, yeah, that's enough out of me. <laughs> so how was it translating his script idea into something that is so visual, but also so in- intricate? Because it's all about how, like, chaos is, like, the shaking the Etch-A-Sketch. Mm-hmm. So how did you kind of go through the story, create those visuals, and organize this chaos? Carl, Carl was so open to me uh, when it came to the script. Um, he, he invited me to basically contribute ideas and to talk about the different philosophies, the different, the different sort of uh, ethical questions that we were that we were entertaining throughout the film. So, so a lot of the transitions were based on things he'd seen in my work or conversations we'd had about. I'm a huge nerd, so I, I know about visual effects and camera tricks. And I grew up in idolizing Michelle Gondry, so I'm always like trying to do cool shit with the camera. Right. And uh, so we would talk openly and, and create different things that we could do to get us to sort of propel the story forward. Um, but it was always it was always under this very stable ground of like we want to tell a story that has a philosophical discourse at the very heart of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was I mean I guess cohesively and together is how is how we built it out. How about that third act? Did you like storyboard it out or? Oh, I storyboarded. I worked with this incredible artist called Peter Beck, and, and we storyboarded the whole mm. movie, and then I digitized the entire storyboard and made an animatic for the whole film oh, okay. with my very uninteresting voice and <laughs> all the characters throughout. So we, this movie was meticulously planned. Do you, mm-hmm. You've never seen a movie at this budget with as much uh, uh, preparation as we had. Like we we spent literally years. Preparing this film to, to get ready for the screen. So, how long was the actual shoot then? Oh, very, very quick. Um, it was 20 days, five day weeks, 12 hour days. Right. Um, just, just refined and focused on. I mean, also we, you know, we were working with our low budget music video crew. So, mm-hmm. like Aaron Grasso, my cinematographer, has been my cinematographer for 10 years. Patrick Lawler, VFX supervisor, has been one of my collaborators for again close to 10 years. You know, Ron Speed or Grip, you know, like Seth Farris, these are all people. Stephanie's uh, production designer. Stephanie's production yeah. designer, yeah. I mean, we had, it was Charlie Schneider, Andre Cesar, I mean, it was just <laughs> all our, like, proper in the trenches collaborators got together and honestly, that's the only way we can pull it off. And also, the big thing for us is like, you can plan the technical moves and there's things that come up, but everything was designed around making an environment where our talent could be where they could beat people and not have to worry, not compensate for ill preparation or lack of focus in one department. We had to be refined because mm-hmm. there's just, you have to make that little perfect petri dish for these guys to give you human beings. Well, Justin, I'm sure that the franticness of this shoot helped you build the character of Frank. So, <laughs> so how was that? Yeah, well, uh, it, it, because they were so prepared, as, as Gil described, uh, and, and they had lived with this story for so long, it gave me uh, that, the confidence that it was necessary to d- dive in and commit to the story the way that uh, you're supposed to with, something, with anything, really. But, um, you know, something like this, it, it, it can be a little daunting because the stakes are so high and, and, um, and everything's very heightened. Uh, and obviously I have no frame of reference for <laughs> Yeah. You know, th- th- thankfully for something like this, I, I, I uh, and so you just really have to trust the people that are that are making it. That you have to trust that, and and that was easy because I, you, you step on a set like that and you see right away that the amount of preparation, the amount of focus, and everyone, as Gil described, everybody was part of this family. I mean, that gets overused, um, 
on movies like this, but it was it, it really was very collaborative, very creative uh, group of people. I, I want to throw on top of that. Um, I, I, I produced thirteen Mubel told movies before I did the Wave, uh, and one of the things that always frustrated me on a little bit in independent film is when you have a script and your average script usually runs somewhere in the neighborhood of one hundred and forty to two hundred and twenty scenes. Uh, and so if you're shooting on a 20 day schedule, that's 10 scenes a day. I mean, you're in, and so your, your actors are just being rushed through this machine. So one of the things that, I, that was very important, one, to make sure that the cohesion of the script was something that people could follow, uh, was, was simplifying it to a point. It doesn't seem like it. There's only 48 scenes in the movie. Um, and so having that little bit of expansion kind of gave a little bit of breathing room for, for, for Gil to work with, uh, with the actors and, and, and that was done on purpose, you know, to, to make sure that when we were going into a shooting day, we weren't going to do more than two or three scenes a day. You know, we, we were going to try to have that luxury that studios feel with their giant six-month shoots in a 20-day schedule. Also worth mentioning, this film, we thought we were going to be shooting on weekends using, like, my house was going to be the party house. We were going to be the <laughs> yeah, that's days. true. We were going to shoot with actor So everything was designed around doing this film for 30 grand. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was always the idea. We never still struggled to believe that Justin came on board to make our film, and then all these other actors came on board as well, and we're like, but we're nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how the escalation happened? Like, it, it, Justin signs on? It was, I mean... So, so at first we got in the hands through some, I don't even know how it landed in Alex, what's his name's hands, the guy who got it, so the casting director, the casting director got interested, agents jumped on, they're like, okay, we have a lot of talent, we want to do this, and it was a weird conversation back and forth, I think we were used for leverage several times for actors to get better deals, Yeah. and then, uh, and the budget level of the movie was fluctuating, so it was like, oh, we'll do it for this, and then this, and this, and it kept bouncing around, and around the time I got jaded, when somebody... Somebody proposed Justin's name, and I was like, I'm never going to get this. But yeah, of course. Yeah. And then he said yes, and then I saw how quick things move when we have mm -hmm. talent attached. But yeah, I mean, Justin was the catalyst that launched us from a really sad story to tell at a bar to a dream come true. Mm -hmm. A fun story to tell at a bar. Well, you know, like, what I responded to so positively about The Wave is that I sensed like a lot of anger bu bu bubbling beneath the script, but it's also, a, you know, not to like use this silly metaphor, but it is a ride, you know, like it is a wave. And so there is like this balance of, you know, comedy, you know, buddy picture, violence, terror, and, you know, your character is like, do I like this guy? Do I hate this guy? And he's changing from scene to scene. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and space to space, right. you know. Um, but the levity was important, I think, for the storytelling aspect, but just as an audience member, like you said, you're going on this journey, and you, you don't want the whole thing to be heavy-handed, and you know, you need to kind of catch your breath and be able to have a smile a little bit, just as an experience, if you're gonna sit there for 90 sure. minutes. But my question to you is like, when you're playing that character, yeah, you know, uh, like, how are you empathizing with this guy? Like, where are you seeing him at different points in his journey? Well, it's just that, like you said, employing as much empathy as possible and, and um, appreciating the position he's in. I forget who said. I Kate McKinnon. Uh, I mean, a lot of actors say this, but but. Uh, you have to really. Somebody asked her about playing unlikable characters. You know, she often does. Uh, and she said, you, you have to like them. You have to find something about them uh, that, that you like and, and that you at least can empathize with. And that was definitely true of this guy. Um, as, as Carl mentioned, you know, there, there was an element 
of his behavior that I've certainly experienced, I am uh, not proud of, but I think we're all susceptible to that, you know, when you, when you lose sight of, uh, uh, of, of certain tr truths and, and morality and, and ethics. And um, yeah, it's just a matter of uh, feeling for him. No, it's like the, 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 the core uh, idea of the film is, you know, we all make mistakes. It's what you do after yeah. that counts. You know? So one of those mistakes are, are by and large, ill-informed by the socioeconomic constructs we inhabit right now. Right, right. In every capacity, we are all frank. You know, like, I, I bought these jeans because, you know, I liked how they look. I didn't think about who made them. I didn't think about the carbon footprint yeah. I sent across or the packaging that went around to do them or how many turtles are going to die as a result of that packaging. Does that make me a piece of shit? Indirectly, maybe, but, but that's a very frank thing to do. These frank is following the American dream that is being drilled into his head from day one. Yeah. He's not a bad guy. He wants to make money. You get out of college. If I had debts that I had to pay. I just wanted to make money. You know, I needed to pay them off. So your focus becomes, that's what you know. You're indoctrinated into this world of you go to school, you make money and have a family. This is what it is. And these guys are all burning men. They're all burning men. Burning men and We're women. Men. And, and so they, uh, they, it's really wonderful being in their company and talking to them about you know, the trappings of, of materialism and the societal pressure to have things. And, and so they wanted to, it was just, just a really, like, I think, important message that they were trying to deliver with this movie. And I just wanted to be a part of telling that story. Well, following the drug trip, like, there were, like, these particular, like, grounding elements, obviously. The baby, the, um, the clocks. Right, and then there was also Sheila Van's character, Teresa. Can we talk a little bit more about where she fits into the grand scheme? Because there's a little, there's a little twisty at the end. Right. Oh, uh, how do we, how do we feel about the spoilers? Uh, well, <laughs> that, that's up to you. If you you don't want them, I won't include them in any article or podcast or whatever. Well, uh, I mean. I, I, I knew when I was writing um, her character, I, I didn't want it to be that standard trope of the girl the guy's gotta get, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I definitely didn't want to objectify uh, the character in a way that's like she's some some reward for, for, for Frank at, at the end of the movie. Um, but what I wanted to explore instead was the many facets of Frank's own personality, uh, and uh, without getting too spoilery, uh, Teresa and Aeolus, those two characters are both heralds of the universe. This is going to be spoilers. Okay. <laughs> and they both reflect the different sides of who Frank wishes he was. Uh, you know, uh, empathetic and cool and dangerous and scary and, you know, masculine. And there's like this, this very, there's a very uh, a gender fluid kind of uh, vibe happening there of, you know, you, you we're, all, we're all so trapped in what is expected of us, but we can look out and we see people and we're like, that guy's got it together, that guy's figured it out. There's like this, we project ourselves onto, our fantasy versions of ourselves onto these different people. Uh, and, and the whole thing with, uh, with Teresa is really about Frank being honest with who he wants to be because that's a person he likes. And that's, you know, there's that, that whole scene where he's like, that's, that's who I thought you wanted me to be because that's really who I wish I was. Mm -hmm. Um, we're getting the signal wrap ups here in short, but I don't want to leave without talking about that shot of, you know, 
the realm or wherever, wherever it is. You know, I curate for one perfect shot, and when I watch the movie, I said, well, that's got to get into the Twitter feed as mm -hmm. soon as humanly possible. And I just wanted to know, how did you, um, like, what was your idea or what was your composite and how did you achieve it? And do that in a few minutes. <laughs> Which one? The, her holding the dress? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So, I mean, the, a lot of the psychedelic experiences, a lot about being overwhelmed by awe, especially the beauty of the world, especially like uh, our place therein. So I wanted to create something that to me matched that smash in the face with the beauty of the world kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. I wanted to create I wanted to create an image which was not only flowing and serene, but vast and overwhelming. And I loved having her holding out her dress. It was so childlike. Lana, I think, references childlike. Just the wind is blowing, you're just holding up these streaming, flowing colors. It was just so, just so serene and beautiful and natural, but also unnatural, which is really a lot about like experiencing psychedelics in nature. Is you know, you step out to the, you step out. There's that line: you know, the sky's unreal. Mm -hmm. The sky's always been like this. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing when, when you're having these awe-inspiring experiences, you're looking up at the unseen scene, you know, it's, yes, it's the stars, but they impact you so much more. So we were trying to make, you know, White Sands is a real place. We went somewhere. It's incredible. It's beautiful. We added mountains. Patrick Lawler painstakingly wrote out all those mountains and put those in, and then we added some of the galactic nebulous sky yeah. stuff. But the whiteness is just, it's there. It's just this expanse of like... Gypsum. Yeah, and, and the most, the finest power. Oh, it's Those really worth doing. Yeah. yeah, but it's with that. Speaking of Lana, it's also a miracle of editing, and, and as well as the camera uh, mm -hmm. trickery, because I remember there being winds and blindingly white, and there were. I remember Sheila. She was such a pro, but like battling the elements too, and the dress wouldn't unfurl <laughs> and trying to, so it's funny to watch, it's amazing to watch that now and just see it all seamlessly blend together and it looks so serene and flowing, like you said, but I'm remembering now the reality of shooting that, it was like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, and we were so limited because it's the state park with all of these, all these restrictions, so we had to have like such a small unit to yeah. shoot there. As we military, treat, like those fighter jets flying over us, and we had two and a half hours to shoot the entire scene, so. Yeah. Our, our prop guy brought the, the, the drug bag for that scene, so remember the drug bag was running away, and we had to break it out for the rangers and show them that it wasn't actual oh. drugs, yeah. <laughs> which they immediately got very excited, took it all out and took photos of it, and they were like, we're sending this to all our friends. <laughs> <laughs> we had a big day. Okay, you don't know how funny yeah. that is. You busted a couple kids on edibles, check out what we did. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We yeah. really appreciate it. We really enjoyed the film. Oh, and thanks. congrats on getting to Fantastic Fest and looking forward to other screenings. Thanks. 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 There you go, Lisa. You survived your flirtations with Justin Long. I did. I think that they. I. I. I think they were successful. Uh, you know what? I don't think he noticed at all. You kept that. <laughs> Locked down. I did. Well, I am a professional first and foremost. I do love how he made it very clear in the interview that he has not done the wild drugs that Carl <laughs> has done. He he wants to keep that image 
squeaky clean. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I wish we had had the conversation that we had with Carl down in the highball on audio because, you know, he uses the word Harold a couple times in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And And our little nerd comic book radar uh, went a ding dong. That's right, because Lisa and I are huge Silver Surfer fans. Yes, we are. And uh, so is Carl, it turns out. So, yes, there is a Norin Rad influence on the wave that uh, I totally dig. Ooh, the wave, surfer, it mm. all goes together. It all comes around. It all comes around. So we got to get finished packing. We're going to head to Sundance. We're going to talk to some really cool people. We're going to bring more conversations back. But guess what? Next week, we're delivering another Fantastic Fest conversation. How dare we? Yes, we're talking about VHS. Yes, this... Folks, it's going to get weird. This is going to get weird because we're talking with director, writer, Jack Henry Robbins, uh, co-star, and his father, Tim Robbins. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. So don't miss that episode. Uh, Until next time, we got to give a few plugs to our uh, fellow dorks, Billy Das. He's not here, but you can follow him at WB Das on Instagram and Twitter. Go check out his other podcast, Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures. They just did The Shape of Water together. And um, the phrase Red Rocket never came up with Claire. Very disappointing. She's a sophisticate. Yeah, she is. She is. She is. Uh, Darren Smith, he's off in Florida right now as we're recording this. He's in the wizarding world of Harry, Harry Potter drinking butterbeer. Find his adventures at the Disco Dork on Instagram and Twitter, although he rarely tweets these days. Uh, Brian Young at the Turtle Dork on all social medias. He's about to drop the best of the decade video on our YouTube channel. And Lisa, yeah. where can our listeners find you? Um, I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Sidewalk Siren. You want to know. You want to know what I thought of Bad Boys 3. I really liked it. (laughs) And I am at MouthDork on all social medias. Thanks for listening, guys. And until next time, take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams 